0: Hello and welcome to Name on the Trophy, the Manchester United podcast where we analyse everything that's going on with the club and we're analysing a lot that's going wrong with the club at the moment. My name's Dominic Booth and I'm joined for this one by Alex Wiley, back in the room. Uh, We're in the same room for the first time ever so this might sound a little bit strange.
1: Hi Dom, Uh, (laughs) thanks for having me. There's um, a little bit to get used to in terms of the technical side for this podcast but yeah, I'm good. Uh, can't say the same for United, unfortunately.
0: Yep, results have certainly not been uh, great of late. The, the defeat to Galatasaray, the latest one before we recorded this, uh, we were both attending and sort of saw all United's issues come to a head again in terms of the, the chaos in the back line and underperformance of a certain few key players, which is what we're going to talk about today, um, especially Marcus Rashford. I know that Rashford's getting a lot of stick at the moment from a lot of the fans and I think some of it is warranted and some of it is not. That's probably what we're going to get into the weeds of, uh, Alex. I know you've got some stats that to maybe suggest that brighter things are around the corner for Rashford but what about his actual output and performances at the moment and how much the criticism is maybe warranted?
1: It's interesting because I think with Rashford the way that he inherently plays because he's a selfish goal scoring winger you're either going to be you're either going to be very happy with him or very upset with him depending on how the goal scoring is going because I think regardless of the way that he plays he is always going to take shots and like I said those shots go into the back of the net the fans don't care and if anything the fans love him but when they don't, as, as, as is the case this season, I think there's a just over 70% drop-off in his goal-scoring rate this season. When that's not happening, the fan base is naturally going to turn on you, especially during situations where a pass to Hoyland, for example, could result in a goal. So I understand the frustrations, but as we'll talk about later on in this podcast, I don't think they're entirely warranted.
0: There was a pass to a, to Hoyland for a goal in that Galatasaray game. And he also got a, an assist in the Bayern Munich game as well. Obviously, there's been no goals for some time. His last goal was against Arsenal, and that's more than a month ago now. Uh, he's had games against Brighton, Bayern, Burnley, Palace and Galatasaray since then without a goal. Um, is is it promising for a start that he's, he's linking up with Hoyland and that is developing as a relationship like we, we said on a previous podcast that we hoped that that would or is it concerning that Rashford's not getting into scoring areas and is that anything to do with Hoyland because obviously last season Rashford was so prolific and he basically didn't have a, a centre forward to play off he was the, the goal scorer of the side
1: yeah it's, it's a tricky one because if you're looking at the assists his assist rate is more or less average for a winger this season His expected assists is actually in the bottom 30%. So you're still looking at a winger who, on the face of it, is fairly selfish. Because when you look at his goal rate, he's taking over four shots a game as a winger, which puts him in the top 1%. And his expected goals is 0.4, which puts him in the top 6% if you actually compare that to last season, his expected goals last season was 0.48. So as I was alluding to at the start, he's still getting a lot of shots. They're still in decent locations, very, very good locations for a winger. He's just not putting them into the back of the net. And I will put my um, flag in the ground and say, I don't think that's going to continue. It's
0: to do with confidence then. You think that it's something that you maybe can't track and can't measure the reason why it isn't happening for him. It's to do with the fortunes of the team as a whole, maybe. Um, you know, he's not the only one who's not performing to his level this season. Casemiro, Bruno Fernandes, other really notable examples of, of players who are performing well below the level they were showing last season. Mm-hmm. So, how do United get the confidence back in him? I thought it was pretty interesting that. He was taken off against Galatasaray before the 70-minute mark. Was that, that's the first time that's happened this season, that he's been taken off before that mark. He almost always completes the game. He's the option that Ten Hag trusts the most, seemingly. But there was an audible cheer from the crowd when Garnacho was brought on and actually the crowd were chanting for Garnacho to be brought on. Uh, anyway, before that, does Ten Hag now go with Garnacho to you know use the carrot-and-the-stick approach of Rashford? Is that how you get him back to, to form? You've got someone who's at least of high quality, pushing him for his place.
1: Yeah, you definitely do in Garnaccio. He's a brilliant replacement. I think in terms of Rashford, I think the downturn in goal scoring is more... For such a small amount of games, I'm going to say it's more bad luck. But saying that, I think these things tend to snowball. So you have a few games, you don't put away the chances you had then you start questioning things and it can have a sort of snowballing negative effect. On the flip side, as of last season, you get the opposite of that. It's like a positive snowballing effect where you finish a couple chances, you slightly overperform, you're therefore more confident and then that improves your play. In terms of carrot and a stick, if I was the manager, I would just wait it out because I think once Rashford gets a couple of goals, because he's still getting the chances, four goals a game, uh, four shots a game, um, expected to score a goal every two games. He's still getting into the right positions. It's just putting the ball in the back of the net. And I do think one of those, two of those happens, and then you'll start seeing that positive snowballing effect. And the foundations are in place for him to still have a very good goal-scoring season. So for me, personally, and... I know the fan base might disagree with me. For me, I'd, I'd keep him on.
0: Yeah, it is all well saying that but Ten Hag is under pressure from the fan base to make a change, to to do something that's going to kick-start United into some decent form. And I think Rashford is one of the four guys for that, potentially. He doesn't seem to want to drop Bruno Fernandes. And I, I still think we're a little bit away from that. He still does produce the odd moment, even though he's not been his usual self. Look at that goal against Burnley. That one united the game, outstanding moment of brilliance. Rashford produced one of those against Arsenal, but it didn't obviously lead to United win the game. Do you think that it's more a pressure, a, a, a case of pressure on the manager? Sorry, that is going to lead to Rashford being dropped because, simply because of the aesthetic, because he has to seem to be doing something.
1: Probably, yeah. I think that's. Part of the reason we've seen Rashford get subbed off early, not only in the Galatasaray game, but I believe he got subbed off fairly early in the Palace game. I think there's about 15 minutes left when he yeah, got subbed Yeah, 77 off. minutes came Which again, up. even that was, was odd because he usually plays the full game.
0: <laughs> that speaks to a bit of running out of patience, I think, maybe.
1: Yeah, and this is the problem with football. It's such a low-scoring a low game that you can have these swings and roundabouts but managers have such short shelf lives that they can't afford to ride those out. So I think I think it's a case of frustration. And as I said before, um, Garnaccio is an incredible, about the best young player you could almost have in world football to be coming on instead of him. So I don't mind Garnaccio getting game time, but I think that's the reason Ten Hag is doing it. I don't think Garnacha, um, Rashford's performances fully warrant that.
0: It's interesting though, because you... You got to have high standards and look over the road at manchester city if one of guardiola's forwards is not producing the goods they go out of the team if someone else comes in they have the quality to do that jack Grealish isn't performing well julian alvarez comes in um, if bernardo Silva's not performing well phil foden comes in there's that rotating cast albeit of a all very high standard and maybe united don't quite have that uh, in all three positions across the front line in fact they they definitely don't have it in all three positions across the front line left wing ironically is maybe the one place they do have it
1: yeah yeah Um, yeah spot on I think Rashford is in the one position where if his performances drop there's a lot of players that can come in obviously Garnaccio who we spoke about before Jaden Sangs if he hadn't fallen out with the manager could have been one of those players vying for that Um, then talking about Bruno Fernandes and the right hand side that's trickier because if their performances drop because obviously last season, Anthony had quite a few times where his performances dropped. There was no one of a high enough calibre to come in. And that's the difference between United and City.
0: Yeah, it's those positions where there's still question marks over players and who really holds that down. I was going to come on to the right because some people will argue Rashford is a, an option on the right. I've seen enough evidence to suggest he's not. He has been tried there a heck of a lot of times by various managers at United and it, it's never seemed like a good fit because he because of that preference that you speak about that he wants to shoot and he literally can't cut inside and shoot on the right-hand side. He wants to do that from the left. Yeah. On the right-hand side, who, who are these options? I know Anthony's coming back into the squad now and is available. He looks... Very rusty, I thought, when he came on against Galatasaray. Maybe it wasn't the ideal scenario for him to come back on with United chasing the game. But I kind of think that that Ten Hag will look elsewhere other than Anthony for a little bit and phase him back in. I think that it may be Mason Mount, who he looks at in that role. Um, I've been impressed by Mount in, in the last couple of performances since he came back from injury. Mm-hmm. He's not the most popular player with some United fans, but I think that he can drive the quality of that forward line and um, keep people out of the side and hopefully drive them to to play better as well.
1: Yeah, I think um, with Mason Mounts, he's a player that the fan base maybe aren't particularly keen on right now because he's not a superstar name. He's not the kind of transfer... I think we said this months ago. He's not the kind of transfer that gets fans excited. Saying that, I think if he continues playing the way he's played the last couple of games, in about two, three, four months, I think he'll be one of the favorites. In a similar way to how Bruno won over the fan base with not only his creativity, but also his hard work. I think Mason Mount's hard work will really endear him to the fan base. And it really helps with our press as well. That's the one reason I think Ten Hag will continue putting him through the middle. Because I think it helps that he's in the centre of the park and can cover ground and press. And if you've got him on the right-hand side, he, he's, he won't naturally be quite as involved. So that's the only reason I don't see him going there. And I guess we're talking about other players that could.
0: At least Fernandes on the right, which mm. is a bit problematic in itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, Fernandes... It's, it's funny that Fernandez is one of the players who crosses the ball most at United, despite being a 10. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to all of our other wingers, he's, he's the one who actually crosses it the most. So you get, a, you get a different sort of profile there. And the other player I was going to talk about is palistri whether he's good enough. Uh, I guess asking you that, what, what do you think of Pellistri? <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's a loaded question, because I think we spoke about this in the car and the way either to or from the Galatasaray game. I just don't think that he has the, the end product at the moment. And I know that he is actually quite popular with fans because he does he does make things happen. He does try really hard. He, he is a a willing runner on and off the ball. I just don't. I said to you. I said to you on um, Tuesday, and I'll, I'll say it on the pod. I can't actually ever see him scoring a goal because I just don't think he has the composure. He he seems to get in goal scoring positions and fluff his lines, make the wrong make the wrong call. Maybe that's something that can be learned. I don't know. Something that Ten Hag can drum into him. I think he's been a bit of a slow burner on Ten Hag as a player as well. Ten Hag didn't fancy him last season. I know that's because he had more options. Anthony he was available, Sancho was available uh, in the wide areas. Pulistri hasn't really taken his chance, I think. He has had a big chance in the last month and I don't think he's quite taken it. I think he remains a squad player.
1: Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. He's, he's still young. He's 21, you've got to remember, nearly 22. Um, I think the reason Ten Hag hasn't fully taken to him, or at least was slow to take to him, is because he's a right-sided winger who's played with his right foot. And Ten Hag...
0: I don't think that should be reason alone, though.
1: I know, but just with the way that Ten Hag likes to put his systems together, it does. I, mean, I would say 90, 95% of the games, we've had inverted wingers on both sides. And I think that's the reason Ten Hag's taken a while to warn to him. Whether Ballistri could ever be good enough for United, he's never jumped out on the data as a player that should be at a world-class club. And I think that's the benchmark we should have. That being said, he is at the club. He's 21. He's a Uruguayan international. So for me, I don't mind him being a squad player for a year or two and seeing if he ever does push through.
0: I know we talked about this before, but Surely, with Rasmus Hoyland now hitting his strides in the middle as a penalty box forward, if you like, there is scope for a winger who goes on the outside. There is scope for people who cross it with the traditional foot, if you like, rather than an inverted winger. I know there's not really an option for that on the left unless you played Anthony there, which just would seem really ill-fitting and... I don't know that we've like, we barely ever seen, it, have we, Anthony on the other side? But like, he went there for about five minutes in one game last season. Yeah, and actually went past someone on the left and put across, cross, cross it, and everyone was like, "What on earth was that?" I've never seen it before.
1: Yeah, his style of play is—he is so wedded to cutting inside. <laughs> the idea of him going on the outside is so alien. Yeah, the one time he's done it, we remember him doing it because it's so it's, rich. It was so
0: notable. Yeah, but like people have made careers of of just cutting in. Ian like, Robert was was a just cut in on, on his left from the right merchant and he made a really, really decent career of it, didn't he? Mm. Is, the, is the scope for United just to keep playing someone right-footed on the right, keep Rashford or, or Garnaccio cutting in off the left? What well, You know, that has to be an option for those two. That's clearly their best role. Mm. But if you've got Hoyland, if Rashford's not producing on the left, someone who can cross balls in from the right to Hoyland seems like a viable option, a proper right-winger.
1: Yeah, when we were talking about what striker to look at during the summer i mentioned finding a more creative forward who drops deep because we had rashford who was such a goal scoring selfish winger and at the time was one of the best in the world at doing it it made more sense to me to have a winger an not a winger a striker who drops deep now to be fair to hoyland he does drop deep but he also offers the, the traditional being a number nine being a presence in the box so yeah, I agree. I think, I don't know how many goals we're going to see from Ras, uh, Rashford to Hoyland. I mean, I hope it's more than well, the one that we've one, seen so yeah. far. Um, but I agree, if you have Police Street on the right, just putting crosses in, I think Hoyland will like that. That being said, as good as Hoyland has been, I do have, I still have question marks over how good he is in the air, despite his size.
0: Yeah, I've not really seen a lot of him in the air, to be honest. He, he seems to prefer that, take it on his chest and, and back into people, which he seems very, very good at, to be honest, and really strong. And that goal he scored against Galatasaray showed a completely different side to his game that I didn't even know that he had. Just the outrageous pace just to burn beyond the defenders the and, and then a nice, cool head to finish it. That was really, really encouraging. It's so Almost everyone went home from that Galatasaray game saying the same thing, that he was the the one bright spark. It's just if you can get the rest of the attack clicking, if you can get Rashford and Fernandez in top form clicking with Hoyland, that's actually quite exciting.
1: Yeah. I mean, on paper, you've got the perfect sort of counter-attacking side with Rashford and Hoyland making runs. You've got Bruno, who should be able to play those long passes. It's just not quite working out. To be honest, if I was to evaluate the team and, and Point out strengths and weaknesses. This season, I think our defense is the bigger problem. Yeah. Um, against Galatasaray, our, our attack, even though Rashford and Bruno maybe didn't have the best games, it was still pretty good. We still created a hell of a lot of chances. But our defense to create as many, uh, to concede as many chances as we did at Old Trafford that worried me more. And I think that's where something needs to change, either in personnel or. Strategy
0: and tactics. Yeah, balance maybe. It brings it back to the, the issue at the top of the pod then. Is it, is it harsh to be singling out Rashford? Because although the defence, I, I agree, should be taking a lot more of the blame than it maybe is at the moment, people are focusing on Rashford, people are focusing on Fernandez. Mm. Is that just because of their status really in the squad, because of how important they are? And, you know, they're the sort of iconic players, if you think about this United side, the man on the street, Mm. he would be able to name Fernandez and and Rashford.
1: Yeah, I think it's three things. I think one is the first point that you made, it's the status. It's what you expect versus what you're getting.
0: Leaders as well, both are leaders. Both
1: are leaders. Bruno is literally the captain. Um, And they're both performing significantly below where you'd expect them to be. I think the second thing is that he's, as I said before, inherently selfish it's just part of his game he's a goal-scoring winger and when that's not working that will frustrate the fans because naturally if you're cutting in and taking shots there are going to be times where there might be a pass on that might be more likely to end up in a goal than taking the shot and the third thing that we haven't really spoken about is his pressing yeah and his work rate off the ball sometimes it's good but sometimes it's terrible and useless, and we're easily and we're easily played around, in part because of him. And I think the combination of those three aspects is what is leading the fan base to. At Old Trafford, i have almost say like made they've made a U turn on him. He's gone from being one of the favourites to public enemy number one. Yeah. In almost two or three months.
0: You don't hear that song um, anywhere near as often, do you? The Rashford song. I haven't heard it for a few, a few games, but. Is pressing interesting because there's nothing wrong with his fitness, there's nothing wrong with his pace, it seems to be tactical, structural, something that United are getting wrong, or is it just an individual who is having too many lapses?
1: I don't think it's by...
0: It's not by design. It's not
1: by design. I think, if, if anything, Ten Hag wants us to be pressing high, and I think what Ten Hag's thinking is, is... When we attack, it has to be quick, usually long balls into the channels, the idea being that either a Hoyland or a Rashford gets on the end of it, or failing that, we quickly press to try and win the ball high up on the pitch. And there there are instances of that working. In terms of high turnovers force, I think I said this on the last podcast, United at the top. But there are other instances, and it's often with Rashford, where we get played around too quickly. And then that leaves other players exposed, namely Casemiro.
0: Yeah, so. yeah, he's getting badly exposed at the moment. And I kind of think that United's pressing... I've been really frustrated with it for a long time, to be honest. Uh, it's this habit, and I'm going to single out Fernandes. It's, it's Fernandes' habit of chasing down the keeper when it's a completely lost cause. There's no one within 20 yards of him behind him to, to back up the press and to also press the defenders and the keeper inevitably kicks it past him and United are almost a man light um, on the de- on the, the mid block or whatever they're trying to do. Mm. I think United are trying to sort of run before they can walk as a pressing team. They were so bad at it under Solskjaer. They, they were so they were so bad. They were like visibly one of the worst sides in the league at pressing but they also didn't try and do it as much. Mm. They played on the counter, they sat a little bit deeper and Ten Hag's trying to turn United into this transition team. He's obsessed with talking about um, United being the best on transition, but I just don't think that the players are there yet for it. They're, they're not. They've not learned it. They've not honed the art mm. in the way that other sides have. Mm. And is it kind of worth Ten Hag reining back from his ideals and his style and saying, you know what, we need some results here. Mm. We can't afford to be shipping three goals at home to Galatasaray, four at home to Bayern Munich, three three at home to Brighton.
1: Mm. Yeah. So look, I've got the table in front of me, um, pressing data. So United in the Premier League have forced 81 high turnovers, which is the highest in the league, as I said before, five ahead of Tottenham on 76. But then if you look at another metric, which is passive per defensive action, so the higher amount of passes per your defensive action means the less, I guess the less effective your press, so, for example, Nottingham Forest allow the opposition to have 22 passes before they make a defensive action. Okay. United allow 13 passes rounded before they make a defensive action. That's around mid-table. So to me, what that says is the first stage of the press is aggressive and can work, but if it doesn't work, teams break through and they break through quick. And I think it's that aspect that once the first stage is broken down, that Ten Hag needs to address because yeah. we can't keep rolling the dice every game of playing these long balls, trying to win it high, sometimes being successful, but sometimes not being successful and then paying the biggest price for that not being successful. That, to me, is what he needs to address.
0: Yeah, that, uh, that to me, says, like, that there's got to be a compromise of some sort and we think, and we said this on a previous podcast that, that compromise should be dropping an extra man into midfield to help Casemiro. So if you press with four attacking players rather than five, United are kind of pressing with five attacking players, aren't they? At the moment, have an Amrabat or tell Mason Mount to play deeper, or whatever it is next to Casemiro. I know you sacrifice a man from the press, and maybe that's what Ten Hag really doesn't want to do because he thinks that obviously your five can press their defensive five. They have a a DM and then a back four. I kind of think that United just have to go. Yeah, we'll we'll sacrifice an extra man in midfield. Let's pretend we're playing a team who's really dominant on the ball, um, like United did last season when they dropped an extra man into midfield against better sides. Do it all the time for a bit, and and just see where that br- that brings you in terms of recovering the ball, mm-hmm. helping out Casemiro because he just looks like he he just looks so leggy at the moment. He looks like he just looks like a man it, trying to cover so much more space than he, he could possibly cover.
1: Yeah, this is, if, if I was going to do one thing at United, that is exactly what I would do. I would take either Mount and drop him alongside Casemiro or put Amra back there when we finally got a left back. Really, it's about risk versus reward. So the reward for a high press is obviously getting the ball in their final third when they're, and then they have to, whilst they're in transition. The risk is that if it fails, what kind of space and chances are you affording the opposition? And right now, the balance is, is off. Because even though like, there, are, there are times where we're winning the ball high up, it's when we don't, it's leading to very, very good chances for the opposition. And that has happened... I'm almost willing to say every single game the opposition at some point has broke through our press and had a very, very good chance. Yeah, It happened against Galatasaray. It, it some happened.
0: of the space on offer Yeah. in the Galatasaray. I think the Galatasaray and Brighton games... The space on offer for some of the attacking players was really alarming, and that only happens when people are caught ahead of the ball and um, the press is, is easily broken through.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if Ten Hag's overrating Casemiro's ability to cover that space because although I think Casemiro is brilliant at reading the game, I still have no issues with that. I think fundamentally he's not quick enough to cover it, and I don't think he ever has been. So for me, press with the four. You can I mean you push Casemiro and Mount up higher together because then technically putting more pressure on in the press. Um, so that's I mean that's the way I would I would fix that issue.
0: Yeah, United don't also have a huge amount of pace in the back line at the moment. I know Dallow is probably your quickest one of, of the ones who've been starting lately, mm-hmm. but neither Lindelof or Varane are particularly quick. Um, Martinez, when he plays, is probably the, the one of the quicker ones in there, but none of the United defence is really that quick you don't have a Kyle Walker in there who can no. get you out of trouble with recovery pace mm. you just don't have that and that that allows teams like City to to press so high in the knowledge that they can get out of trouble there and also you have the issue of Andre Anana's confidence he's not going to be coming out sweeping mopping everything up maybe as well as he could do because of the pressure that he's under at the moment after recent
1: errors I mean I actually think with Onada, I don't get the impression he suffers from M-
0: that. Maybe not. Maybe. I mean, he looked, he looked a bit shaken the other, the other night after his mistake. But yes. I know he is known for his, his sort of bold uh, approach. And he said he wanted to win the Champions League when he first signed for United. So maybe that was a sign that he was confident.
1: Yeah, he's, he's obviously made uh, two quite big mistakes now with the Bayern Munich save, or lack thereof, and the pass out from the back against Galatasaray. But watching him... Like, game upon game, he hasn't really changed the way he plays. He's still willing to get the ball at his feet, play the ball. You can see there's, there's certain moments in which he delays just to let the opposition come in before he kicks it long. That doesn't seem to be a problem. Um, so I don't worry about that. But what I do worry is, as you said, the recovery pace that we have. And Kyle Walker is a perfect example. We had Kyle Walker or N'Golo Kante in his prime, or Moises Caicedo, who could have joined United back in the day. If we had those sort of players mopping up after the first level of the press has dropped, I'd be so much more happy with it. But we don't. And that's where I'm getting a little frustrated with Ten Hag that he doesn't see that. Because I go into this assuming Ten Hag knows more about football than I do. but I'm sure, he does. Me, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. But that to me seems like an obvious and easy fix. Especially as that is more or less, what we did last season when we played significantly better. Yeah. So I, I hope he does do it.
0: I think last season was a bit more of a pragmatic approach at times from Ten Hag, and, and that's what I'm sort of calling out for him to do. Now, we, we've spoken about him a lot in this podcast, and there are a few murmurs out there that he might be under pressure. United have lost more than they've won this season. I think it's 6-4 six, six and four in the L column, as opposed to the W. There's not I don't think there's pressure on Ten Hagen. I I I think it's right that United fans are questioning his decisions. Um because they didn't last season really. He was sort of ironclad last season with, with what he was doing and people like complete trust in him. But I wonder if the the pressure, the talk, almost affects his decision making and is a sort of self defeating cycle in a way. He, he's second guessing himself, he's not maybe got the authority within the players because of the results that ebbs away mm-hmm. and then his instructions don't carry the same weight as they did when United just won a trophy for example last season
1: maybe I, although saying that I would have thought if he was to second guess himself one of the first things I'd expect him to do would be to drop a certain fielder next to Casemiro because in a way yeah. that's the safer thing to do and yet, he hasn't. Mason Mount still plays more or less alongside Bruno Fernandes. And the way he's handled the Sancho situation doesn't suggest to me a man that's questioning what he does or changing how he does. I think there's every reason to do that. I yeah, maybe you should. I don't think <laughs> Ten Hag... Ten Hag doesn't seem to me to be changing. And the murmurs about whether he should go... You've got, to fundamentally, you've got to sit down and ask yourself, if Ten Hag leaves, is that good or bad for United? And to me... It's obviously that would be a bad thing. Yeah, it's been
0: massively destabilising. I, I wouldn't want it to happen at all. Yeah, but at the same time, United can't really afford ever to finish mid-table. It's not ever an option. I kind of think that it maybe is necessary, you know, to go back one step backwards before two forwards. Some United fans just wouldn't have that, and you can't afford to finish any less than fifth.
1: Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. But my counter-argument would be, do you think taking Ten Hag out the job means you're more likely to get them? And that, to me, is still no. So no. <laughs> either way, I just think it would be a knee-jerk decision. This, this club right now, it doesn't get much more unstable than this at a football club. <laughs> I, I, I literally can't think of a football club in history, apart from one that's about to go to administration, that is this. Like unstable, so removing the manager during that period will obviously create more instability, and that just cannot be a good thing.
0: No, it would get into sort of Watford territory mm. of sacking managers every few months, or Chelsea last season, or something like that. That's what United want to avoid more than anything. It's just the what I'm talking about is more the the how the pressure on Ten Hag might affect other things. Um, in terms of on the training ground what he tells the squad things like that and I'm interested to see how United now respond um, obviously they've got another winnable game supposedly mm. um, against Brentford but nothing seems winnable at the moment and every team will go to Old Trafford with with a bit more confidence
1: mm. and Brent I mean look Brentford are a, a good side um, <laughs> I don't think we should think oh this is a team that's only recently been promoted we Um, we're at home, it's going to be an easy game. I don't think that's going to be an easy game. I mean, if you're looking at expected goal difference, although Brentford have actually, they've only won one game, their expected goal difference puts them at sixth. So just outside the Champions League places. So this is a side that is underperforming relative to what their underlying numbers say. And just to um, really hammer that point home, United are about mid-table on expected goal difference. So, if you were to take these these raw numbers, and obviously there's only seven games, so don't go too far with it, but if you were to do that, you would say Brentford are the better team. Um, so, yeah, I still think United should win on Saturday. I just don't think it'll be as easy as people think it will be. Well, they obviously won't think it'll be easy, but might be lulled into a false sense of security.
0: Yeah, you keep thinking that. that you keep thinking that every game will finally be the one where United click and there were positive signs against Galatasaray for me. I actually think United play quite well in in patches of the game. It's to that soft centre and like Rashford is the topic of this podcast, and I think he's a perfect embodiment of you know a good player who is very dangerous, can win you games, but his confidence is knocked at the moment. He seems to be um, easily put off his game and that kind of shows in the rest of the United side as well at the moment they're, they're all very easily rocked by something in the game mm. and you know scoring two goals against Galatasaray and then e- the other team equalising straight away shows that the team is, is very fragile
1: Yeah, and that's happened a lot this season um, Look, Rashford is if you're looking at sort of the number of shots he's getting off and his goal rate um, from the past season he's on the cusp of being I think, a world-class player. But the difference between being a very good and a world-class player is the consistency and the ability to not get knocked by downturns in luck. Ronaldo is a prime example of a player that regardless would go out and just assume he's going to score. And you feel with Rashford, that's the next step he needs to make in his game, that sort of unbreak- unbreakable confidence where even if you have a couple of games that is it's not quite going right, you still continue doing what you do. And the Galatasaray game, where he, had, where he was through on goal and he squared it. when really, Doubted himself, didn't he? He doubted himself. and Rashford, even at the start of the season, I think he's almost certainly taken that shot on. So he's just got to stay focused, continue doing what he does and ignore the fan base. Because to be pretty honest, the reaction to Rashford right now is just, it's nonsensical.
0: No, it's OTT. We, we we had to address it, I think. It was only fair we address Rashford's form and also the other, the other players at the moment. But, hey, let's see how it goes. Um, it's a long season. It's feeling like a long season. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's only October.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just felt like uh, it's 10 games going in all competitions. It feels like every one is a complete slog at the moment. It's, yeah. it's not as enjoyable as it should be.
1: Yeah, my dad described it on the way back from the game. I think on Saturday he described it as a cure, and uh, on Tuesday he wasn't much more positive. <laughs> it's, it is feeling a little bit like that.
0: No, yeah, I, I enjoyed the game on Tuesday for kind of pure chaos, but I would like a nice boring 2-0 for sure against yeah. somebody. I'm yeah. sure a lot of United fans would. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all for this podcast. The first one in person that we've ever done has been nice and, uh, nice and intimate.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's gone really well. I don't know what the audio quality will be
0: like, but... Yeah, apologies if this is any different um, <laughs> than normal. Whether one of us is quiet or one of us is loud. But um, if it goes all right and it comes out okay, then we'll do it again in person yeah, at some 100%, point. Yeah, 100%. All right, well, that's all we've got time for on name the Trophy. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, keep subscribing. And yeah, we'll be back again soon.